Why struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. All right, welcome everyone to our latest episode of 100 Days and Beyond where we speak to the fraternity that are involved with mergers, acquisitions, post-merger integrations, post-acquisition integrations, and and all the business stuff that happens around those those wonderful areas, the the work streams all the way through to marketing, sales, and and all the fancy schmancy things that that we think are un, unreachable and untouchable. But yeah, in this channel, we speak to the real people behind the scenes, the the guys that make things happen. Uh, and uh, and and I believe uh, just like anything, if you if you stick to it and if you work very hard at at, at what you do, you become better. And uh, the more experience you have, the stronger you become at at your skill set. Today we've got John John Burke. John is a marketing director, commercial leader, M and A integrating bus- uh, businesses and teams. Okay, so let's just let's just focus a bit on that. And we say consultant, speaker, digital marketing, brand management, IPO, and investor relations. So I'm going to go through a brief little bit of, of your summary, John, and then we're going to have a, go straight into it. So a commercially-minded, customer-focused marketing leader with over 20 years international experience in multi-channel marketing, M&A integration, sales management, and team uh, uh, realignment covering technology, software, and smart products, industrial goods, and consumer durables with both B2B and B2C markets. John, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. You uh, you come with a great pedigree, and uh, we had a quick chat the other day, uh, and I thought that was that, that made for, for some really good content, and I'm, I'm hoping we could have a really good session today. I'm sure we will, and with Thanks, your background... Dave. Thank you, uh, and, yeah, and with your background and, and, and with your knowledge, I'm sure you'll add massive value to our audience. Again, welcome to the audience. Welcome, John. Uh, John, let's let's kick off. Let's first let's get a get a bit of background. Uh, get us get get your story. Get to where you come from, and and how did you end up in this world? Ah, uh, right. Thanks, Dudley. Thanks for that introduction. Um, so I've been working on the, in sales marketing for oh gosh, as as long as I care to remember, really, from a professional point of view but um when it comes to all things MA and um, in particular post-acquisition integration um i worked corporate side for a number of years um i spent six years of a business that um did on average about six to eight deals a year and i would spend a lot of my time um in, initially on the communication side initially announcing the deal uh communicating some of the benefits of it uh, producing things like town hall events uh faqs bringing people up to speed both on the uh, acquired target side and in the parent company in terms of the benefits of the, of the deal, that sort of thing. And it quickly became apparent that um, while a lot of emphasis, as I'm sure you know, uh, a lot of emphasis is put on the, the cost saving sides, in particular areas such as HR, um, ERP solutions, finance, IT, that sort of thing. But my focus on the commercial side with sales and marketing was really about revenue generation. So we've bought access to new technologies or access to new markets and segments and 
and industry types, but how are we actually going to leverage that in order to grow um, into new markets with both the parent and the, uh, the the new acquired business working together going forward? There's obviously also um, challenges to work out with regards to sales team structures, compensation, uh, branding, marketing, to name mm. but a few. Um, sales team realignments, you often, and, and, and a number of times I would come across situations where we often would have sales teams together that uh, up until that point had been competing against each other. So these are the sorts of things you have to um, address in the real world. Uh, mm. People, you know, aren't silly. They take these things uh, in their stride and you treat them as adults and you, and you work these things through. Yeah, and I, and I think I think that's absolutely right, especially taking that 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 um the the art and science of of sales and marketing it's that it's that special place where where some fear to trade and others others really relish the opportunity to deal with with generating new work building customer relationships and 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 so on and and even hunting new business i mean your 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 profile Talks a lot about, uh, I think, in 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 terms of gives you the background of being that marketing and sales expert, the guy that can understand the big picture. But I'm guessing also you, you've done your fair share in the trenches too, uh, to 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 know and to understand what what goes on per salesperson, per marketing individual for each one of those departments, and what are the dynamics that that make them effective. And, and and produce the results because it's one thing to buy in a new team but are you truly do you know how to really harness it sometimes it's like herding cats I think sometimes working with salespeople that's maybe a, a bit of an unfair statement because they are quite focused and many of them are very uh, ambitious individuals but uh, there could also be things like territory battles who owns which customer uh, now we joined. We had a joint account. We were up against you in your in, in, in for this particular account. I wanted sometimes you wanted that the other time. Now who gets it? I mean, there must be some interesting conversations that happen around that. I just want to just throw that curveball in there, and, and maybe there's a bit of a, a, a dynamic you can share with us there. Yeah, that's a good question, Dudley. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things you've touched on. One that that immediately springs to mind is when buying one particular company. In fact, a number of times this has happened. Uh, you try and transpose your sales processes to the required business and almost exclusively, uh, almost every time, the, the initial response is, well, that's not the way things work here. Um, uh, our market's a bit different. Our, our customers like to do things in a different way. All of those sorts of uh, uh, responses that really essentially what they're saying, but in, in different language, is they're resistant to change. So it's like any good change management program, it's about quality communication it's about outlying um, and making really clear what that end state is so people can buy into the vision. Um, and even before you, you talk about the end state and the journey and the destination, you, you start off with why the deal took place in the first place. What was that rationale? A good, a good acquirer, a good parent, certainly from a corporate side that is building um, businesses alongside its, its, its traditional organization, they'll, they'll always have like an M&A plan, the types of businesses they like to look out for. And um, in that way, it can be seen as a really positive uh, experience and a really positive um, engagement as this is the reason why the business is so attractive. Uh, we're now part of a, 
of a bigger business that gives us access to new technologies, new cap new capital, new resources that allow the business to grow in ways that uh, perhaps they've struggled with in the past, that sort of thing. And when you give people um, that messaging and they continue to reinforce that as you celebrate new wins, new opportunities, um, people coming on board, yes, you will get um, natural uh, people moving on because they don't believe that their career perhaps is, is, is part of that. And there's all sorts of interesting conversations where you have one-to-one -one people realising that um, perhaps this is not for them. But the reality is the people who stay are, as you touched on, uh, ambitious. They are um, they see it as an opportunity to grow their career, gain new responsibilities and um, expand going forward. And they want to be part of that journey individually as well as um, within the, the wider corporate context. You're mid. Let me just try the hand mute. Today is just a technical, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Today is just <laughs> number one selling mug since lockdown, right? Yeah, yeah. You should have that as your logo. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just thinking about the technology uh, challenges. If when we, when we look at salespeople and and what we're trying to do is, uh, when we're doing integrations and so on. Much of the relationship, let's call it, and much of the knowledge, intellectual property, when you're having uh, uh, salespeople and marketing people and so on, have been part of an of an ecosystem for some time. They've built relationships. They've they've grown an understanding of their current market. Obviously, they build a particular lens and sometimes blinkers, but but they they have a way of looking at the world. But they also have a way in in, in which they operate. Now, sometimes. Uh, in sales and marketing environments, you have the data is, is where is it kept? Is it up to date? Is my relationship information up to date? Where do I put it? And so on. Now you're joining two entities. One may be heavily driven around administration, capturing uh, information in a really good maybe CRM or whatever system they've got. And another one that may be a lot looser in terms of the the, the data management and they they more relationship oriented. They're much more into the golfing and the cricket and the and all those you know the the more let's call it event based, you know where you have others that are probably more structured in terms of sales processes and so on. Do do you see ever see dynamic like that 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 differs in terms of a continuum, if I if I had to put it like that in terms of styles um, in the industries that you've worked. Yeah, you're always going to get to a point where the, the acquired businesses, you're going to want to get them onto your, your tech platforms pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and that can be anything from MarTech through, and CRM through to um, account systems and ERP. But from a sales and marketing point of view, um, giving your salespeople access to the right tools in a timely manner is really, really crucial. And alongside mm. that, you, you want to train them. You want to uh, understand how they use their data. Um, and, and the number of times we're actually... We've learned from from the clients we've, or the companies we've, we've acquired by finding out new ways in which they've made the most of their data to grow their business that's made them so attractive in the first place. Um, and and that, that's a nice learning curve as well because it in, enhances the performance then of not only the parent but the other business units within the parent company as well. So we're always looking to see how we can improve um, solutions. I've been consulting now for over four years and the clients I've worked with in various different industry sectors um, are always looking for ways in which they can optimize their own performance through the mm. companies that they've acquired. Um, so they're never looking to have a point of uh, uh, stasis where they say, we know what we're doing all the time. 
we like to take the best of, of both worlds and and um, look at continual improvement. But ultimately, what you are looking to get to is a point where everybody's working off the same system, dealing with the same data in a, in a consistent manner so that you can then reach out to target audiences and existing customers to grow your revenue um, using uh, a similar approach where appropriate with your target audiences. Yeah, because because often um, as I mean, one of your one of your specialities is strategic marketing management, and and often data is a way that you can say, okay, this is a way I can predict pipeline future sales because you potentially have to go back and report back to to somebody and say, and they would say, what are we expecting in terms of a result next month, next year? What's the pipeline looking like? Yeah, and so on. So in terms of leadership, you want good data, you want clean data, and you want to be able to have some kind of ability to to predict. And I imagine part of an integration would be to try and align these as quick as possible. Just maybe share some some of your insights on that. Yeah, no, really critical piece of information we look to try and uh, understand when we're dealing with new acquisitions uh, from a sales point of view is how good is their forecasting accuracy? It's all well and good having access to all this data, but what do you do with it? And uh, let's say you have to report on a quarterly basis and forecast how you're going to perform. Um, and then the idea is that you'll come either bang on target or slightly above. And if you're a little bit below, then that's within the margin of tolerance. But you don't want to get to a point where you're suddenly exceeding forecast by 40% because the operation may not be geared up to actually uh, accommodate uh, um, performance so far above the forecasting. So mm. the way in which businesses run means that they need to have as accurate a forecast as possible. And from a sales point of view, when you're dealing with sales leaders of acquired businesses, you want to um, have their credibility established by their ability to deliver the forecast that they say they're going to do on time. Um, and reg regularly keep you updated on any surprises, um, any new projects that might come in that explode the forecast so we can gear up for it. Um, I've just finished a project with a, an oil and gas business that had exactly that issue where capacity was such that they had to manage their forecasts. And if if something was going to come in 20% over, they didn't have the capacity if they weren't given enough notice to manage that. So it was really important that um, sales leaders manage their forecasts, stick to them, uh, and communicate in any uh, plus or minuses in a timely manner on that. And that's something we look forward, look for in a lot of detail with our target companies. How good are you at your forecasting? Because mm. that helps us to, to manage the business uh, going forward. In in your opening, opening uh, section, you spoke about doing sort of six to eight or being part of an organization that did between six and eight new acquisitions a year. I'm guessing it's not perfectly timed either. I'm guessing there will be a few bunch together and then there'll be a bit of a gap and a few bunch together. But, uh, but, but I mean, accumulatively, that, that must put quite a strain on, on, on a team that has to be involved in that whole thing. Tell me about sort of the, what happens behind the scenes when, it, when yet another acquisition is announced or, or, you know, not, we're going to go in this direction, we're going to add this in there. Tell me a bit about what happens behind the scenes of, of an organization that's, let's call it a serial acquirer um, from an integration yeah. preview. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So the thing to start in, uh, to bear in mind at the starting point is that um, the people you're dealing with already have a day job, and that is to manage their department, be it HR, sales, operations, etc. So they've already got a business that they've got to maintain uh, and teams to manage processes etc and growth targets and and all of that sort of thing um and then suddenly you slap on their desk um 
uh, the announcement of an acquisition and all of the process that then follow alongside that, you know, getting new teams on board, updating org charts, understanding new processes, all of these sorts of things um, have to be managed alongside somebody's already full uh, day job. So what we wanted to do um, when I was on corporate side in corporate development, but also now as a consultant, is to set, work alongside those team leaders to help them manage that extra workload in a way that made it um, manageable, a good project management process um, using PMO approach or IMO from an integration point of view, but making sure that um, there's a defined process that you can just repeat on a regular basis. It's repeatable, um, the milestones and the the, the key gateways um, and the, the, the 90 day, 100 day plan is all already defined. So again, you're kind of going through the motions, uh, that familiarity of doing six six deals in a, in a 12 month cycle is, is clear. And like you say, it's not, it's never every two months. You might have a one month where you announce two deal, then three mm. months, nothing. And then another two or three deals announced. Um, but as people get familiar with the processes and you guide them through that, you help take some of the work off their desk to make sure that the integrations are managed. Um, then all of that sort of thing can be accommodated. Um, but yes, there's always uh, a few moments where extra gray hair, hairs appear. The other key thing is to have to be aware of what the strategy is for each of the six different businesses, for example. Mm. One one strategy might be full absorption. We're just going to take all the brand out. We're going to fully absorb the business in. We're literally just acquiring market share. We might be um, handling a couple of key accounts in a different way. But generally speaking, it's business as usual for this business. So we're going to impose our approach to them. With others, it might be hands-off approach. We want a slightly light, uh, uh, less more um, light-touch approach where they continue to operate because of the way the markets they're in. A good example of that was with um, the business I worked with. We had uh, we acquired a business that was very heavily involved in defense uh, and aerospace. And that was a market where there was all sorts of uh, not only security, but regulatory concerns. So we made sure that um, there was a, as much as possible ring fencing, but the financing uh, and some of the um, HR processes behind that and IT were integrated where we felt that that didn't pose a risk uh, to security or, or um, regulatory requirements. So the strategy for each business needs to be clearly defined when you announce. Uh, so obviously you have a, a public announcement, you'll have an all hands um, within the business announcement, but then you'll, have, you'll get your leaders together and get into the detail of what you're looking to achieve uh, and what their expectations are. Um, and that they can be clear then on the impact that will have on their workload. And again, that's where we come in to help them through that, to take some of the um, challenges off their desk. So, for example, from a sales and marketing uh, point of view, I'd get involved in looking at the new sales teams you brought on board, identifying mm. who's really good, talented people are you don't want to leave. What does a future org state look like? Does the go-to-market approach change depending on the, the new businesses required? All of that sort of thing, I can take a fresh um, view on. And ideally, you've, you've kind of answered some of those questions Certainly on the go-to-market approach, you want to have an idea of that um, once you've agreed uh, your letter of intent. Yeah, and, and what, what's interesting, and I think you you raised a really good point now, and that is that um, that what level of, of integration am I am I doing? I mean, am I doing it? Is it shallow? I mean, am I just taking on a portion? Am I just bringing some revenue but leaving the business alone, or am I doing some some kind of deep integration? And, and then I look at one of your specialities where you talk about e-commerce and 
and SEO and, and so on. And now we're talking about sort of, let's call them digital assets and, and, and so on. So now you've got multiple entities or even just one or two entities joining. They would have spent, let's call it, I don't know, was the, I don't know if they always call it spending, but but they would have invested a lot of money on SEO, on building these digital assets, getting some kind of uh, visibility digitally, you know, the the ease for a customer or a supplier or, or somebody or a stakeholder to 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 find them online. Uh, if it's e-commerce, you're also looking at fulfillment and all the things that happen behind e-commerce. E-commerce is not just a a screen with a with a store and a, and a payment gateway e-commerce has got something to do with the delivery of the items too <laughs> and also making sure that those you know the distribution and all that kind of thing also works so coming back to the sort of the digital assets e-commerce seo and that you now you're joining a number of entities you would have to bring i would imagine a lot of those specialities together in the room to see how, how you could start um, I don't know if splicing is the right word, but trying to bring together a lot of the that hard work and and let's call it momentum that's already been built around those hard won infrastructures because e-commerce is not something you just plug and play. It's something these are these are these, these often have many many images. For instance, they've got lots of data in them. They've got customer journeys, if you like. They've got potentially behind the scenes. You've got all these. Uh, customers, or, or, or yeah, let's call them customers, that are, are still part of a of a buying journey, or they're on a subscription, or they're on a repeat, and and now you now you're buying multiple entities. I mean, the, this whole thing is a little bit more complicated than just sort of let's just sort of join the systems. Tell us a little bit about your experience around e-commerce and SEO and and all these digital things that that especially the Gen Zs and Millennials have grown up with. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I want to know what what your view on the world of that is. <laughs> sure, Dudley. So um, I spent eighteen months on a, a business to business distribution company uh, uh, project where they'd acquired about twenty four companies within that period of time, or slightly before as well. Um, before I, I picked up the project, and about forty percent of their activity was done online. So you're talking about a significant digital web shop presence, but also you know highly optimized SEO that sort of thing. So um, you are looking, uh, again, really early on. What is the end game? Wh where do you want to be? Are you looking at ultimately having one web shop that's global but segmented uh, uh, with uh, geographic um, access and, and that sort of thing um, and geographic different web shops appropriate? Um, and the approach we took was to, because of the, the research telling us that brands were so important to them in each particular market and that all of the keyword um work that had gone in beforehand the web shops were um the, the the position we took was that the web shops would be locally branded to suit the needs of the particular market but everything back office in terms of customer journey um the way in which the shop operated the look and the feel was all consistent across all the different um group businesses and with some of the businesses we took the plan that you know over six or 12 months they would eventually rename to become part of the new parent uh but in other instances we will retain the local name but we just make sure that the the customer journey was the same, whichever country you were in, whichever web shop you were on, the ease of searching for particular product products, the ease of contacting people if you had a query to chase deliveries or um, finding the latest status on your order, checkout, refunds, all of those sorts of things were consistent across the different um, geographic businesses. 
we had uh, a centralized kind of digital hub where all of the expertise was gathered. And we made sure we deployed that to each of the acquisition, uh, the acquired businesses. In terms of things like SEO rankings, you, you certainly don't want to lose what you've built up over the time with an acquired, uh, an acquired business. So you make sure that um, over time you migrate that into new keywords. You do all sorts of backlinking to redirect um, and all of the re relevant SEO optimization tricks to make sure that um, when you get to that point where you migrate from one domain to another, uh, it, it's as seamless as possible. Uh, but over time, uh, you can make sure that that's done uh, in a way that mitigates any risk of loss um, loss of customers. And the key thing really there is about um, communication, making customers aware about the, the current name and where it's going to be uh, and let them know that the new brand will take place that, uh, and which web to go to in the future. Um, but alongside that, being really good online uh, across all of the different businesses, mm. it's really appropriate, particularly when you're in an age where uh, you might deal with the same customer across multiple different uh, geographies, like a food manufacturer, for example, or automotive, who will buy from you in the UK, France, Germany, and Poland. And they expect the same processes. They expect the same quality of customer service in all of the markets. And of course, perhaps the big one is consistency of pricing and product availability. So all of those things from an operational point of view have to run alongside that as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the, uh, the the pricing consistency, the deliverable consistency, and then also if you're buying competitors, com competitor entities. I'm 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 guessing different accounts and different account numbers, same company. So you got you got maybe a customer of this entity and a customer of that entity, but they they have different account numbers. So you got to try and do a lot of merging of of accounts trying to find ways from a digital, from a, from a data point of view to bring things together. And also, I'm guessing there'll also be a spike in, um, in customer queries. They'll probably, you would probably have to, for a period of time, have additional support to support desk people to handle any of those, of those additional inquiries. So there's a lot of planning to be done. I mean, it's just not, it's not that, that simple as you go into it. Um, it, you have to think through all the possible things that could go wrong. And there could be a few blind spots along the way uh, that you, you just didn't get, you just didn't think about or, or didn't, didn't get to. And then it, it sort of creates a little fire there, which may spread. Uh, and you want to try and contain it when you when it when it comes up. Have you got any any war stories around that? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a good example, really, where marketing needs to work closely with um, IT, for example, on making sure that um, you know account numbers migrate, uh, all of the back office uh, IT functions still work that match one account number against another account number for the same business uh, to make sure that there's no seamless issues with regards to. Um, invoicing order statements and, and, and information getting out to the customer, that sort of thing. SKU numbers, again, making sure that they're consistent over time. Um, but the, the real challenge there is making sure that the key account managers or sales uh, managers who are in relationship with these customers are on a regular basis, fully informed so that they can talk to their customers, uh, give them the messages, give them uh, really good FAQs so that they can go into a meeting with their customer fully prepped to say, you know what? This is where we're at now. This is where we're going to be. This is how we're going to get there. And if you've got any questions, give me a call. I'll always be able to help you and talk you through any problems you've got. So um, with one particular project I worked on in food and beverage, where we had uh, a company who would buy from us in about 20 customer countries, sorry, 20 countries. 
uh, again, we maintained regular contact with them, let them know where we were at with their data, um, how they could work with us, um, and how we could fully integrate seamlessly into their, their ERP as well, so that we continued um, to be easy for them to order from. Yeah, because these days it's a world of EDI and full integration with across different ERP systems in terms of ordering. You're trying to only, I think the, the term is managed by exception. You only want to manage the parts that go wrong as opposed to manage everything. And and I'm guessing that that's, so those are some of the principles that, that, that you'd be applying. I'm yeah. just, I'm just going to shift into, into something that's also very interesting in terms of the specialities that, that, that you share in your LinkedIn profile. And that is sort of new product development, new uh, sort of product launches to market. Uh, and that whole, that whole process, I mean, you've got, you're already now just trying to bring entities together. But let's say part of the, the synergy uh, plan or the, or the value creation plan was to now launch potentially new product into that, new, that existing custom base or do the cross-sell as everyone talks about, you know, if I buy those customers and buy those customers, I can, can cross-sell the products and services. How, how realistic is that in, in, in many, in many uh, respects, you know, across multiple entities? Uh, I mean, in terms of um, when it comes to acquisitions and justifying a new uh, a, a new target, you know, access to new technologies is is right up there as one of the most popular and most important uh, uh, justifications. So when I was with um, my corporate work, uh, we acquired. There's, there's two companies that spring to mind actually in terms of uh, technology we acquired. One of which not only um, gave us access to new technologies um so they they had some really exciting technologies that integrated um physical hardware with um the cloud so that uh, a, a piece of um hardware out in the field could literally be deleted uh and be turned into a dumb piece of equipment if it ever got lost or stolen um or, or you ever needed to replace it so the ability to um do that sort of thing suddenly opened up whole new markets for the parent company but also for the company that had been acquired, they were very, very strong in food distribution. Their technology basically would go on any truck that carried food or any um, item of value, like, for example, mobile phones um, in the distribution market. And it meant that you could locate uh, any particular package anywhere geographically. Um, and so the reverse of that was true. The parent was then able to sell new technologies and new solutions into that market as well that, in the past had been uh, uh, closed off to them. So there's always usually a reciprocal uh, um, potential opportunity of cross-selling. But again, when you're introducing new technologies into a new market through acquisitions, that's really an exciting phase. There's lots to talk about, lots, lots of successes. Um, but what you need to do if you're the, you're the acquiring business is basically budget for it. It's going to take money. You are acquiring a business that you did with the technology that you then need to market. So you're not only budgeting for the acquisition, you're budgeting for basically a new product launch. Um, but that's really, really exciting phase to go through. Yeah. And I, and, and I think a lot of, lot of underestimation that, that occurs happens a lot in the marketing launching of new products. I, in my experience is it, it often takes you longer than you think. And it takes you more money than you think, and it takes you more people than you think. Uh, would that be a similar experience to what you have? Yeah, definitely. All of that is true. Time, money, people. Um, yes. 
But uh, and, and of course, we have a tendency to, you know, overpromise perhaps and underdeliver. Um, and that's just human nature, I guess, to a certain extent. But the key uh, thing in my experience is to understand what your real absolute must win achievements are and, and make sure that they're, they're your focus. So it's perhaps probably uh, um, the 80 20 rule, right? Make sure that you focus on the really, really important 80 percent. Uh, get those over the line in a timely manner. Fully understand not only your resources, but your skills and capabilities. Are the people uh, um, that we're bringing on board capable of taking this to the next step? If not, then we need to build a resourcing plan that does allow for that. Some of that can be done on a short-term basis, and that's perhaps where I come in on a consultancy and project basis. But other than that, other times you are recruiting full-time staff for the longer term. Um, but certainly when you need to get something over the line in a timely manner, uh, then yes, resource is a real challenge and you need to make sure that um, you can resource up for it um, to a point where it becomes business as usual and then perhaps that resource can just dial down a bit. Yeah, because I'm just thinking about the people aspect. Now you've got, uh, especially sales in, in the B2B environment, you have salespeople that uh, have got accustomed to particular products or demonstrations or things like that that they're busy with or or they have got their, their customer base all of a sudden you are expecting them to, that you might be adding additional um, sales quotas to them. You're adding additional requirement in terms of numbers they need to hit. Uh, so often out of a product, maybe they might not be as passionate about. Uh, just, I mean, tell me about the people dynamic, because I think sometimes the people dynamic uh, around, uh, I think salespeople have to be, and if you think about sales and marketing, they have to be passionate about what, what you're doing and who you, and how you present. You know, you could be, you know, you might as well send a, a, a video reco recorded clip of someone is, is, is much more effective than, than, uh, than an unenthusiastic <laughs> person trying to build a relationship. How do you deal with like, the culture, the human side of things of, of this whole change program that, that, that you, that you talk about? Yeah. So um, I've just worked with a number of sales teams actually uh, in Europe, mainly Germany and the Benelux regions and, and France where um, you, when we've acquired the businesses, you spend time to look at them and uh, get a feel for their, their quality, their sales capabilities. Are they people that, um, I mean, essentially sales is a transferable skill. So while you can have a passion for a particular uh, uh, range of products, these are people who are skilled at selling to people, um, opening doors and then closing and winning contracts. And so you want to see, are they capable of picking up, you know, either a competitor's product or a complementary product um, and using that as a way to win new business, but obviously enhance their own um, particular comp plans because of course ultimately they're in it for the bonuses and the commissions that, that come alongside that so the, the good sales people that we come across see this as an opportunity to earn more money grow their career um, close more deals um, and perhaps even manage a sales team into a new region for example so um, we're looking for ambitious driven salespeople who see this as an opportunity yes there will be um, people who move on perhaps uh, less inclined to take the opportunity. But, you know, the, the harsh reality of the business that we're in and um, the companies that are being acquired is we're looking to make the most of the sales teams we've got. And if there are opportunities to improve our sales teams, we will go and recruit that uh, those, those people um, as and when required because we want to make sure that we have the best people selling the solutions mm. um, going forward. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, a, a good salesperson 
is is comfortable with with taking on new challenges and probably wants it and probably is more excited because now they've got new things to sell and there's a new shiny thing in them <laughs> in their toolbox that they can, that right. can hand out. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and a lot of times particularly when we're selling complementary products or offering complementary products to mm. the sales teams they see that as a real opportunity you know mm. they, they use that then to go back to clients where they've struggled in the past to close those deals that um, hadn't quite got over the line in the past and they see that as a um, real growth opportunity and then the reverse being where um, they haven't been able to take something into the market they've now got the that that extra solution to do that well, that's an excuse to get hold of the existing customer base again, um, yeah, exactly. and especially specialized. So, yeah, absolutely. Cross-selling and upselling um, are great opportunities for them to expand their the, the revenue as well. So let, let's go to some bigger picture things again. We, I mean, you mentioned, um, for instance, uh, you mentioned things like uh, branding and identity. Um, I mean, those are those are often sort of uh, difficult ones to to really pin down. Uh, do you what, what's your method? I mean, what what is what is your sort of go-to approach around around branding and 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 identity and and even sort of just trying to to give people maybe a new sense of of uh, a, a collective. Um, I, I I don't know how to explain it because it's a little bit airy fairy, but but it, it becomes branding and identity it, again. I suppose it's communication and so on, but. But what is your sort of go-to method to, to to bring together new new people in that space? Yeah, I mean, th there's two schools of thoughts. I mean, if you think of um, if from a consumer point of view, you can have businesses like Unilever that's basically house of brands, and it's all products that are branded uh, um, in particular ways. And you would never consider uh, bringing them all under one brand, but you would promote, let's say, Unilever, for example, or Procter and Gamble. But from a business to business point of view, I guess in an ideal world. Um, all things being equal, you would have a, a situation where everything is under one brand and then perhaps you might have business divisions and particular sub-brands within that. But in the real world, that's not always um, easily achievable or even perhaps desirable. So um, to give you a really practical and, and real-time example, I'm working on a project at the moment where the parent company is buying a business in a completely different set of geographies and in a completely different uh, uh, industry sector. So it doesn't make any sense um, where the parent brand is not known in those new markets and new segments to rebrand in any time soon. But we do have a co-branding plan that over the next 12 to 18 months, uh, Target Company will be known as Target plus parent in, in some kind of mix uh, uh, formation. And that's literally going through as we speak. So investment will be made in a co-branding uh, uh, initiative that will then um, over a period of time morph into parent brand being very strong in this particular new set of geographies and markets. Uh, the key thing there, as in all things, is about in the planning and making sure that you know what your budget is, you know what your timelines are, what you need to do when. So that can uh, uh, take in everything from paperwork, stationery, brochures through to all things digital and web branding, even down to office signage um, and, and the work where people may be wearing. So once you take, um, let's say, an, an inventory or a, um, a stock take, so to speak, of all things that are branded in your target business, and then you put together a plan for the co-branding that then morphs into uh, permanent branding, you can then take stock in terms of strategically, is this the right thing to do? Which ones can we live without? What are the must-haves? 
you know, we must have, for example, ad campaigns that are branded appropriately, but could we get away with a warehouse for 18 months being outdated, that sort of thing. Those are the strategic decisions you can take once you know what the um, cost and resource implications are. So we're literally going through that as we speak, but in the end game is that in 18 months, the target business will be fully absorbed and rebranded. And as a result of that, the parent company will now have access into significant new geographies it never had before. But we we, we obviously accept that that is going to take a little bit of time, uh, money and investment. Yeah, because some some uh, branding and identity uh, uh, practitioners, they would, you know, they would they would prefer, let's say, a phased approach where you still have a dominant identity, for instance, and then it's sort of progressively, you know, over multiple campaigns, there's more of an emphasis later on. And then the the original sort of brand, if you if you like, identity starts to morph or, or disappear into the into the new sort of joint one. Or you just do the big bang and say, hey everybody, we've we've changed and use it as another excuse. But I mean I suppose there's different schools of thought as you as as you said. Let me give you a really good example, um, one that we can, I, I think you may uh, know about, but I'm sure many of the, our viewers will know is um, Norwich Union were acquired by Aviva. And for about two years, um, it was called Norwich Union with Aviva as a sub-brand or, or a, a subscript underneath it. And then uh, at some point in time, Aviva became Norwich Union. But for a period of time, there was an overlap. But everybody knew that Norwich Union was going to become Aviva. And it was a, it was a significant cost exercise but it was well worth it because of the end game they wanted to get to. And it was done in a seamless way. So seamless that people still remember that Aviva used to be called Norwich Union and sometimes refer to them as such. But everybody knows that they are now Aviva. And so they go to the, the right website. They talk about it in the right way. Um, and they have that association with Aviva and Norwich. But um, there was a point at time at which they wanted to undertake a rebrand approach. So they had Norwich Union then the Norwich Union Aviva approach, and then they moved it into uh, fully Aviva. And that's a, you know, a, a, a perfectly sound um, integration strategy for a rebranding. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's a great, it's a great example. And, and, and it, it also helps just ease uh, the stakeholders, especially customers, uh, suppliers as well, I'm guessing. And, and a whole lot of people that, that, uh, the business depends on for it for its continuation, and also you want to keep attracting new talent. You you know, and you want to you want to attract the brightest and best talent to any organization. Uh, yeah. And if it's looking like it's going all crazy and they're not sure about their own brand and identity, it's a bit. It could be a little bit scary for for someone from the outside saying, "Hey, I want to. I would like to be employed by that company that's not quite sure who they are." Uh, and if you have a company that's got a proper brand and an identity strategy, I think that that's quite useful in many aspects. Um, if I if I come back to to some of the some of the other points, um, what's what's what sort of stands out is 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 sort of two words that that I get bandied about a lot and and, and sometimes a bit cliche in a, in a way, um, and that's the coaching and mentoring side of things. So. So during during our careers, I mean, we we all grow into certain things, and and sometimes we have people that help us along the way. Now, it might not be formal coaching or mentoring or or support or or even having a buddy or a an accountability partner or whatever people call it. You know, there's all kinds of names for this kind of stuff. 
Um, can you recall any any people in your in your journey and your life that that sort of stood out and 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 what they did? I mean, I have to name names. What I'm just saying is that it, has that been a factor in your life? Have you done a lot of this stuff on your own? Have you have you sought advice and support along the way? Oh, always. I mean, I would I would um, highly recommend that people who uh, want to get ahead in their career find somebody to, to be their mentor because you want to be in a place where you can have safe conversations with people to um, share ideas, to, to basically, you know, vent perhaps if, if somebody's frustrating you in the work environment, you've got to go and unload to somebody who can then help you to give you some guidance as to how to manage that um, in a constructive way that is, is not uh, uh, in any way negatively impacting your career. Um, and also, I, I guess you want to talk to people who can help you take that next step, give you some guidance on what your direction is. Um, and there are some really good kind of mentoring uh, uh, models out there to help you target what you, you want to achieve. I've had some really good relationships in the past, and I've got a couple of mentors now, in fact, still, who help me to um, just challenge, ask some probing questions. You know, um, why, why do you want to do this? Why are you thinking that particular way? Uh, have you considered this approach? Uh, have you considered looking at the problem from this angle? Those sorts of things. Um, and then as you kind of think about what the next step in is my in terms of my career, they can help you um, think about uh, what your next step might be and how you might achieve that. Uh, and, and so it's really useful to have um, uh, mentors for sure. I would never always recommend um, that the mentor is within the organisation you're in, uh, even though you can have those kind of... Um, confidential relationships because of course you if you see yourself staying with a particular business they can help you uh progress within the organization but you always want to have a mentor outside of the business to give you um perhaps a more broader view uh the benefit of their experience in other industries and other segments that sort of things um that can really help you kind of think about things in a wider perspective and i'm i've got a couple of people that i mentor mentees for me um who i like to kind of just ask myself, ask them the kind of questions I was being asked 10 years ago so that they can uh, have a think about their career. Um, what, there's even something as simple as what should their LinkedIn profile look like through to um, what kind of conversation should they be having at the coffee machine with somebody uh, on the exec board team uh, and how they would go about that through to when is the right time for them to, to look at um, another job elsewhere. I, I mentored somebody who ended up uh, going from the commercial environment into academia and you know what at first when they had that conversation with me uh, as something they were considering it was a bit of a curveball but as I kind of thought about it and reflected on their personality and the type of person they they were in their communication actually that made mm. so much sense because they were not only a really really good communicator and expert in their field but um, they were the kind of people who liked to share it with others so that they could then take that knowledge themselves so um and this person's now been working in a business school for two years, uh, teaching corporate finance. So it's really been um, quite a good experience for me to be a mentor as well as to be mentored. Yeah, and 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 for me, I I want to. There's a there's a word that, that that I've picked up in in your in your profile, which um, which at one stage was quite a buzzword, and that's uh, disruption. Um, uh, and, and disruption is 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 not something necessarily that happens out there. So I'm going to go and I'm going to potentially throw a curveball and see how you handle it, John. Do you do you sit down and disrupt yourself? Do you sit down and think through 
how how do I how do I make myself better? How do I question whether what I'm doing right now is in fact still applicable, relevant, and value adding in the space that I'm in? Because you add a lot of value to a lot of people purely because of of who you are. I mean, you you come across as someone that 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 really knows your 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 stuff and and your I mean your track record is great and all that. But but sometimes the older ways in which we we did things are not necessarily as effective as they used to be. Or even maybe our approach or our, our view on the world because things have changed significantly. How do you have you and how do you disrupt yourself and 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 rethink? Because I think what has happened over this pandemic period, people have been talking about all these again cliches pivoting and blah 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 blah. but i mean i'm just gonna go down and say look you anybody has to do it no matter what you want to call it and the reason why from time to time you have to disrupt yourself and rethink how you put yourself out there especially a guy that's that's so strong in sales and marketing and and product and 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 brand and, and and all that type of thing in this space just give me your view on that and 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 how and when do you do that? <laughs> well, I've, there's a lot to unpack there, but I mean, so self disruption, yeah. So I've been through that, um, and it was uh, so it started about nine years ago. I had a conversation with my wife. We were um, out for a meal and uh, talking about work, and we were going through another one of these these deals. And I was saying, you know what? I would love to work in consulting because um, I would like that kind of. The challenge there or the, the perceived challenge that I kind of saw at the time was the ability to work with different clients, uh, solving different problems in different arenas, um, maybe every six, nine, 12 months, that sort of thing, instead of solving the same problems with just different clients within the same environment at the corporate that I was at at the time. So I kind of sowed the seed then um, just as a, a thought um, and just as kind of an, an expression of a future state, should we say. And then lo and behold, three years later, um, so this was 2019 now, and I wasn't really, well, we weren't anywhere near the, the pandemic at the time, but um, I'd been involved in a project where we had, had brought on some external clients, sorry, external consultants. And almost as a kind of incidental, got chatting to a couple of people and saw this as a really an opportunity to explore what disruption might look like, to take your phrase. And then... Um, having some conversations with them about the reality of, of consulting, the reality of the kind of projects they work on uh, that helped fleshed out what we were, um, what I'd imagined at the time and gave me a bit more of a reality check, should we say. And as a result of that, I had a couple more opportunities at work kind of um, completed. Uh, it felt like I kind of wrapped up some more projects and that came to a point where I was really ready to move on and, and take that step into consulting. So, the self-disruption seed had been sown a few years before, but the opportunity came along that kind of forced myself to take that leap to say, yes, this is what I want to do. Um, or if, you know, if I take the leap and it doesn't work out after 12 months, I've always got something to go back to. But um, I feel like this is an opportunity I don't want to miss. And so however you call it, whether it's a pivot or disruption, uh, for me, uh, I'd never, you know, I haven't looked back. It was four and a half years ago. Um, I, I've thrived since then. I've honestly never been busier. It's uh, I've I've had some really really interesting, challenging projects. I've met some fascinating people I would never have met before. 
Um, mm. And yet I'm meeting those kind of new people, new projects every nine, 12 months. And so I feel reinvigorated. I feel really passionate about what I can bring to the different clients that I engage with, but that um, I'm learning so much as well with every single project. Um, so to give you a sense of the type of different uh, projects I work on in the last couple of years, I've worked on B2B distribution. That I talked about oil and gas. I've talked to, I've worked on water utilities. I've just finished off um, a, a software business integration project. I'm going to be, I've, I've just kicked off uh, an engineering uh, acquisition program. So there are all sorts of businesses that I've engaged with. Um, there's an architectural business I've worked with in the past as well that have consolidated some practices. So the, the mix and the breadth of my experience have just exploded um, in the last few years in a way that I would never have imagined. And, and so I'm thankful for that self-disruption. And mm. some of it was fought out and having that conversation, not only with my wife at the time, but following it up with some mentors um, for sure, but also taking the opportunity to talk to consultants uh, uh, when it arose then kind of really steeled my nerve and, and said, yeah, I'm going to commit to this. Yeah, I noticed the smile and the, and the twinkle in your eye and the, and the passion that came out of that. And I think that's exactly right. And uh, and, and that's, I think, is part of the, 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 the journey of life is to find find your purpose. Um, it might take longer than, than you expect. I mean, many of us, uh, you know, start in a place we think we, we, we belong and, I mean, I, I just see my, my my children right now. I mean, they they all at that place where they think they should be, uh, and they're trying different things. Some of one or two of them not that that sure yet. So, but I know that that in theory, um, work is going to change. Jobs that existed twenty years ago don't exist today anymore. Jobs mm. that exist today are not going to exist in ten years' time. Um, and there there are a few things that um, that never change and those are the principles the fundamentals of of life really and then that's to find your passion to find your purpose and i think it's, it's a special calling it's like that 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 uh, that mentee of yours that 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 education is their calling their 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 purpose and 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 they they followed that and and now that they're doing incredibly well and and i think the same is 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 true for you where you've now followed what you what you see as your purpose and you you flourishing which is fantastic. Um, I want to just go down to the onto the personal side of things, and and maybe just uh, just for a moment have a look at uh, how do you keep keep yourself sane or balanced? Or I'm not sure if there is such a word, but how do you keep yourself going, staying passionate, high energy, all that type of thing, if <laughs> if that's possible? But uh, uh, it's because this kind of uh, uh, vocation or this kind of career choice uh, does demand a lot from you. It demands a lot of time and energy, focus. Uh, often it's quite stressful. You're dealing with people of different types and you're being thrown into different uh, arenas all the time. How, how do you sort of keep yourself on the up and up and how do you keep yourself sort of level and and, and level headed if, if 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 that's the word i'm looking for yeah no it's a, it's, a, it's a real challenge isn't it particularly in in this environment where when we're working from home we're more accessible to our to our clients and our employers right so you know a team's call or a, a text or a, a, an email comes along uh and you feel compelled to answer that but for me it's about you know i've got a family i've got a lovely wife and three wonderful children so it's making time for them. I try and pick a new hobby every year as well. So 
uh last year i started paddle boarding and this year i'm doing some other stuff and it's just it's just nice to make sure that you've got your head and interests in other places so that um when you come back to work you're reinvigorated you're refreshed um perhaps also you've got you know a new way of looking at something because you just um took some time out and, and refreshed but um discipline as well and having good habits managing your time really well obviously um the demands of our clients mean sometimes that we're working longer hours on a particular day because of milestones and, and deadlines we're working to. But other times it's about, you know, having habits that means that you switch off at six o'clock in the evening and sit around the table with a family um, and have a good conversation. And then you can get out and do your hobby, uh, do a bit of reading and then tidy up your emails at the end of the day, having good habits that you stick to. Um, I've got a I've got a calendar that not only I'm sure we all have not only mixes my work but my personal calendar that other people can see and they know when I'm easily uh, easily when I'm available or not. So mm. it's, it's about and then having the discipline to stick to that, right? Uh, <laughs> and as often as we want to say yes to everything, it's also good practice to say no to some things as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's you know be, maintaining curiosity, asking the right questions, um, having lots of energy, enthusiasm around people, that sort of thing. Yeah, because it's, it's this constant conflict between slipping into a comfort zone and staying challenged and, and still being disruptive to a certain extent, taking yeah. on new challenges, uh, enjoying life, staying curious, but still, you know, sticking to something that you know. It's just, I think it's, it's, it's a life of paradox. It's a life of, of, of constant conflict. And, 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 and I mean, that's just the way I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing it myself anyway. But I think yeah, the purpose... Well, well, yeah, one thing I'll just throw in that comes to mind, um, particularly on the back of COVID and we've had, you know, almost two years of the lockdowns and something that's really um, been forefront for me engaging with other people is about mental health. And mm. for us to be aware that, you know what, um, if, if, if I went and played football and I broke my ankle or I had an injury, I talk about it and it would be something that I could kind of have a bit of banter with on the end of a call like this or on a team's call with a team. But you know what, if we're not doing well mentally, we need to create a safe space for people to feel that they can actually express that and say, you know what, I'm really not, I'm not there today or, you know, I've got stuff going on or, you know, we need to encourage people that it's okay to not be mentally okay every now and again and, and to give people that safe space um, to, to feel that they can express that. And I, I've seen that uh, um, in the last couple of years at close personal quarters with some colleagues. And so I'm always conscious to make sure I kind of ask the those questions where, People can feel free to say, you know what? No, I'm actually not really okay. Um, and then deal with that or point them in the right direction or um, say a few words that might help them, but then uh, give them an opportunity to have some rest. Um, so we just need to be more aware, I think, of, of people's mental health than ever before. Hmm. Yeah, it's not that the, the problem never existed, but it's it's now the awareness um, is definitely yeah. uh, more evident. Yeah. Um, as, as we come to the end, we've got sort of one and a half, two minutes left. John has been a fantastic hour and I've, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I really just, just want to sort of end off with, um, what are the, what are the sort of golden sort of takeaways, one or two nuggets, if you like. Um, and then, so just tell us about you, your company, how would people get hold of you? Um, you know, if they want to speak to you, so I mean, let's start with a few sort of one or two wise words and then then tell us a bit about your company and how people can get hold of you. Okay, so um, in terms of key takeaways, 
planning is really essential. You know, start with a plan, understand where you want to get to, um, have a strategy, um, ask all the right questions of the people that you're going to be dealing with, um, both at the target and at the, the parent company. Um, and in terms of the business I work with, I work with a, a company called Global PMI Partners. We specialize in um, helping companies get through the acquisition and then in, into the, the 100 days afterwards with the, the, the post-merger integration and making sure that you successfully achieve your objectives um, strategically. And you can contact us by going on to gpmyp.com. Uh, you can find me, John Burke, on, on LinkedIn. Um, I think my LinkedIn profile is John P. Burke. Um, and yeah, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody on these kind of topics. But you know what? The key takeaways are going to be planning, strategically thinking uh, about the future, and communication is key uh, in everything that you do, both internally and externally. That's fantastic, John. Thank you very much for joining us uh, today. I really, really do appreciate your time. Uh, the effort that you've gone through, I think, technically has probably been one of the challenging ones. Um, I just uh, just want to say thanks again. Please stay on the line. I just want to say goodbye to to our audience and uh, and then yes, let's uh, let's have a quick wrap up once once we've said goodbye. Just just stay on the line. Um, thanks, Dudley. Thank you everybody for watching. Thank you, thank you, guys. Okay, uh, thank you, John. Um, okay, uh, uh, that was another episode of 100 Days and Beyond, the podcast, the episode, I think, that highlights the sales and marketing, uh, I would say, work stream, but also the leadership, uh, the experience, the uh, understanding about the way things work out in, in, in the marketplace. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely loving that, that uh, this discussion we've just had. There's so much to do in an, in an M&A or in, in the merger acquisition, even in, in the integration side of things around multiple aspects. John has done a great job in, in explaining and, and sharing his experience and his views um, on this wonderful world. And again, for me, Although John, uh, you know, he's uh, he comes across passionately. I'm sure he's uh, in in real life. He's incredibly humble and 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 uh, and I, I'm I'm just I'm 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 in awe of, often with with the wealth of experience, knowledge, and breadth and depth of the human beings that do this kind of work. And again, for me, this this uh, podcast is dedicated to those who are for me the unsung heroes of the MA work that uh, make the world turn i think that make the world exist in the way that we that we see it make companies successful those that acting those leadership positions bringing people uh, through the system and helping people in their own careers and yes i think the last point that uh, one of the last points that john made was about mental health being more aware of people of their circumstances and 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 just understand that we're dealing with real people it's not just a balance sheet or a, or a financial statement that we're working with. We're do, working with real people, real business, and communities that are affected by these businesses too. Thanks again for joining us today. Join us on the next episode of 100 Days and Beyond, and, and we wish you all the best and, and, uh, and, and, and really uh, stick to it. Uh, everything that happens, happens well, and thank you, thank you so much. All the best. Hi everybody, this is Dudley again and if you need help with a future or existing post-merger integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free no obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need, what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. 
Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk. That's mergerintegration.co.uk or come to our website, skillfulpursuit.com.